Hey, everybody. I want to uh, give you another little plug here before we start our podcast. Things are happening here at uh, Bema. This podcast has taken off, and that's cool. We have amazing listeners. All of you are awesome, and we love you very much. Uh, but there are a lot of you, and that group is getting bigger. There are a lot more of you, and more and more and more of you. And that's awesome. Uh, but we're trying to figure out how to steward this thing well. How do we take this growing, like this parabolic growth curve, this exponentially growing podcast listenership, and how do we steward all of you well? And how do we steward what we do well? And and all of those things. And um, it's really moving, actually. And I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it looks like for me today uh, to, to figure out what to do with this part of my job. Because this podcast is just a small part of what I do every week. I spend five or ten hours a week dedicated to this portion of my job. And the email uh, load is increasing. Everything is increasing quite a bit uh, around here. And we need to figure out how to steward that well. And um, I want to talk to you about funding. And this is not going to become like we're not going to start doing some pledgeathon here, the Bema pledgeathon. That's not where we're headed here. I, I really don't want to turn this into a fundraising gig every time. But I do want to put a plug in here because we have, um, now that we've switched over to our new host, we have some better stats. And uh, we know what kind of listenership we're working with. And we can see the growth curve. And, and we have about five to 7,000 of you that are listening to this podcast like in real time. You're going to hear this podcast this week. Um, we have estimates for we We know how many people are starting episode one every week, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, we can, we can guess we're, we're, we're putting an estimate out there. We probably have 20, 30,000 people listening to the podcast at any one point. Uh, but we know we have five to 7,000 of you listening right now. And, um, and we, we have not seen the financial bump that one might expect with the increased, increased, uh, listenership, if that makes sense. As the amount of listeners has grown, the amount of dollars supporting the ministry has not grown at the same rate. Now it's grown a little bit and we are unbelievably grateful for all of you, uh, that are supporting the work here. But I have to figure out how do we, we need to start like hiring some more people. Like at this point, it's like Marty who spends five to 10 hours a week of his job on this. And it's Brent, who is a volunteer. And Brent is coming on. Uh, he's going to start working for us full time. And, and here's, here's the thing. We, we, I, have, I have some money to pay Brent for a while. And that's good. Uh, I don't have money to keep paying Brent. And uh, we need to change that. Um, we need to be able to support the things that we're doing here. And I need Brent to be able to be a part of what we do. And so uh, here's just some rough ideas here. I think when people think of supporting our ministry, they think of like uh, $50 a month, $100 a month, more than that. And that's awesome. Our ministry has always been built off of people that support us at, at large monthly or very large annual gift basis. But now we have a larger volume. And uh, I, want, I want to tell you what $10 a month could do. We have like five to 7,000 people listening to our podcast right now in, in real time. If, uh, if everybody gave like $10 a month, that's, um, I mean, I'm no, I'm no mathematician, but that's uh, $50,000 a month. Um, that's, uh, that's a lot of money coming in a month just, just from people giving uh, $10 a month. And uh, I know that not everybody can give. And, and I'm not going to sit here and, and guilt you for listening to Bayma without sending us any money. But I want to invite you to consider uh, if $10 a month is something that you could do. If $10 a month, a couple lattes, 
is something that you have in your budget or could create space in your budget to allow us to be able to do the things that we do. We are no Bible project. <laughs> We're no Tim Mackey and his crew, um, but we are uh, trying to steward this thing that God is doing uh, well. And we could use your help. And yes, I know uh, about Patreon. I know about all those wonderful uh, tools that are out there. That's amazing. Um, we have some administrative systems that we're going to work within here in my job. So uh, we're going to do that. So I want to encourage you to consider if you've got room uh, to help us out, because actually, if all of you, uh, we, we don't need $50 a month, $100 a month. Now, listen, some of you out there can do that. We we could really, we could really use a $50 a month supporter or, or two or a hundred or a thousand. Um, we could use a lot of those. That'd be great. But if, if you're there and you can't do $50 a month, that's cool. Um, but if you can do, uh, I don't know, $5 a month, $10 a month, uh, at the volume that we have listenership that we have, if our podcast is worth that to you, if you value it at that kind of a price point, we could really, really use your help right now. And that could really help us. So I want to, I want to ask you to think about that, pray about that. And if that works, great. And if it doesn't, please keep listening. I don't want to send you away. Do not feel guilty about that. Keep listening. But if you can help and want help, uh, please do that. We're going to put our link in the show notes of this podcast where you can go. And what you want to do is you want to uh, go to that link. The link is going to take you to our ministry team page there at Impact Campus Ministries. And you just want to find Baymom Ministry. Find Baymom Ministry on the first drop down there. Baymom Ministry on the first drop down menu. And uh, just select that and set up a recurring gift uh, for $10 a month. And uh, or any other amount that God places on your heart. And uh, we'll use it. We'll see what God wants to do with that. We'll try to steward that as well as we can here at Bema Discipleship. So thank you for letting me bug you about money for a little bit. I promise I will not be doing this week in and week out. But right now, we could use your help. So thanks, guys. This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we set everything we have studied about Acts back into the context of the larger textual narrative. We wrap up the greater story and set the stage for the inspired letters of the New Testament. Yep. A few notes here before we get started. Uh, we have made a presentation today. We got back on a presentation train today. So uh, you'll find that. It'll be in your chapter. Your podcast does a whole chapter graphics thing. It'll come up in front of you. Well... I don't know if these are going to work very well in the chapter art. All right. Never mind. They no, won't come up. No chapter art. This no is very, very detailed. Uh, yeah, you're right. Text-heavy yeah. stuff. So yeah. Okay. There you go. You're Good gonna point. Have to, you're going to have to open the presentation See, for this that's one. why I have Brent Billings help me out. <laughs> that is why. A, you wouldn't have chapter art to begin with. And B, when you did, you wouldn't be able to read it. We'll get uh, we'll get back to the, um, the pictures uh, soon. I'm sure. Yes. Lots of session four content. So there is a presentation though. So feel free to click on that. Um, uh, it's going to be a short episode today. We don't have a lot of words today. Um, but that, but that doesn't mean like there's a presentation because there's actually some really good meaty stuff to get your mind around. So few words, short podcast, but big content. And so I want to encourage you to really uh, kind of lean in and wrestle with this and pay attention and do that really well. Um, uh, we're not going to be reading any Bible passages unless something comes to us and we end up reading it spontaneously. We don't have any planned text today. That means Brent's going to have to chime in with his own thoughts, like interrupt me, like interrupt him. That's what he's going to have to do. No assigned readings. So, all right. So here's uh, 
let's let's do this thing. Let's talk about the book of Acts. We wrap up the book of Acts today, and we begin to turn our attention towards the rest of the New Testament, kind of all the rest of the letters of the New Testament. So it's going to be important to make a point about this meta narrative of God that's recorded in the scriptures, like all the way back to session one. We started by saying that we began with a what, Brent? With the preface. With the preface. And then we had a what? An introduction. And that was all the book of? Uh, that Those two pieces covered the book of Genesis. That's right. And then in the book of Exodus, we said we started the? The narrative. The larger narrative, which we said was? The uh, Tale of Two Kingdoms. The Tale of Two Kingdoms. What were those two kingdoms? Empire and Shalom. Excellent. If this is all ringing some bells, ancient session one stuff, uh, we need to circle back to that today. This is a really important time to do that. Um, when we started our podcast series about the book of Acts, I mentioned, kind of got a, I kind of got the, the, the cart in front of the horse a little bit, and I called it the epilogue of an early church. Uh, so let me explain what I meant by that. In the beginning of the study, um, when we began in Genesis 1 through 11, we said that it served, as Brett just said, as a preface. It was a preface to the narrative of God. And we actually linked that episode in the show notes. Episode 7. Episode 7. So you can go back and, and listen to that if you wanted to review. That was a great episode. Those were good days back then. Those were good days. <laughs> They're all good days. Oh, man. So so pre- the preface kind of it set the stage. It told us how to rethink and reorient ourselves uh, of what we believe to be true about the world. It was all about trusting the story and, and the essence and the foundation of God's love and acceptance and the goodness of creation. That was the preface. And then the rest of Genesis, chapters 12 through 50, could be seen as an introduction where God sets the stage for his great story. And I always felt like that was really important to, to understand the preface and the introduction because we need to be able to talk about the meta narrative of God in a coherent way so that we can understand who God is and what he's been up to in the world. If we can understand this story as he's as seen in the text, the Bible, the scriptures, and told by the author himself, capital A, author, it will help us understand where we fit into the story, us today, and how we can step into the mission of God. Because God is still looking for what, Brent Billings? Partners. Partners. He's still looking for partners to put the world back together. And so I want to be able to teach the entirety of the Bible as a Bible teacher, within a meta-narrative package that sees the story of God as a cohesive whole. It should have a beginning, a plot, a narrative arc of tragic and or comedic redemption, as well as a conclusion that remains an open-ended invitation for God's people to join the story. And this is why we start the story with a preface. We say it has an introduction. What we have been studying since then since those early days in session one, since we did preface and introduction, what we have been studying this entire time is the narrative itself. And I believe this narrative is a tale of two kingdoms, empire versus shalom. The main plot and the narrative arc is one of exodus and liberation, ultimately culminating in restoration. Ooh, let's throw another book in our recommendations here for this episode, Brent. Let's do, um, uh, oh, I'm about ready to recommend another Rob Bell book. Brace yourselves, everybody. Um, it was one of his middle books. It was called uh, Jesus Wants to Save Christians. He co-wrote that book with Don Golden. Throw that in the show notes. Really, really good. Talks about the narrative of as Exodus and liberation. All right. I believe the mystery of the incarnation was that Jesus came, the divine wrapped in the fullness of God, as the scriptures say, uh, the fullness of God chose to dwell in Jesus, the divine wrapped in humanity. And it showed us through his life and ministry what this narrative is like when it's seen in flesh and blood. The story of Jesus 
as seen in the Gospels, is the climax of this great narrative God has been telling. So I want to pause here and I want to recap the narrative of God. I'm going to do it as follows. I'm going to make five points here about uh, the narrative of God. First one, God writes a preface to help us reframe our understanding of the world. Who is God? Who is man? And what is God doing in the world? And how do we relate to that? So that's the first thing. Second, then God sets the stage for his great story in the introduction. He introduces us to the family he chooses to partner with and their descendants. They are a stubborn people filled with, filled with fiery, what's the word, Brent? Fiery chutzpah. Chutzpah. And a willingness to trust the story amidst many mistakes and questionable character. Like, they're not perfect, are they? No. Some of these guys are quite a mess, like, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of the best are quite a mess. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. However, their ability to trust the story sets them apart from all other characters that we've met thus far. So you have the preface, you have the introduction. Next, God begins his great narrative of Exodus. He starts with a literal exodus from Egypt and then invites his people into a missional partnership to show the world what God is like. The very lessons learned in the preface and modeled in the introduction. We watch the characters struggle to learn this as a nation. We watch them wax and wane and eventually crumble in the temptation of empire. They lose the plot of the story and God disciplines them, reminding them what Exodus looks like and what the plot of the story should be. Having learned some good lessons, the people of God try to rebuild a new Judaism, a new physical Jerusalem, and, and a new Jewish people. But as temptation creeps back in, there are multiple responses as to what the proper interaction with this temptation should be. That's our study on Hellenism. So next, number four, into this vibrant and lively cultural debate dives the incarnated Christ at the climax of the narrative. God wraps himself in flesh, and the author of the narrative jumps directly into the story. He shows us what it means to live a life of Exodus, to trust the story in such a way that you are free. You're free to lay down your life. You're free to lay it down on behalf of others. This pure model, this incarnated Torah, incarnated text, brings, brings us back full circle to the best moments in the introduction. As Jesus becomes the perfect example of the kind of man Avram was on his best days. Jesus becomes the living expression of the complete realized potential of humanity. Oh, I like the phrase. I wrote that. That's kind of cool. I'm going to read it again. Jesus becomes the living expression of the complete realized potential of humanity made in the image of God. Which means that, last, lastly, it means this. It means the book of Acts becomes the epilogue. So we had a preface. We had an introduction, we had a narrative, and now we have a what, Brent? The epilogue. See what we did there? Sure. We got a preface, an introduction, we got the story, and then we got the epilogue. That was really good. That was you, really good. you assume that our listeners are avid book readers or something. Uh, I don't know yeah, if that's yeah. a safe assumption. Yeah, that's a pretty good, pretty good assumption, at least for most of them. Okay, all right. Uh, having shown us what it looks like to live out the narrative of God correctly, Jesus leaves his followers with a special deposit. The realized indwelling of the Holy Spirit. While still not perfect, this holy nation is empowered by the Holy Spirit to do things that the narrative has not seen before. Jesus even mentioned these acts would be greater than his own. Brent, pull it up. Let's read some text. John 14, verse 12. Give me John 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. All right. 
This epilogue shows us that it's possible for this narrative to find a comedic and restorative end, and God will, in fact, put the world back together through a partnership with his people. To succinctly describe this narrative arc in literary terms of the Hebrew Scriptures, I would say this. After God invites, after he defines, after he tests, after he fulfills the covenant relationship with his people in Torah— We are invited to watch the continued evolution and breakdown of this covenantal relationship in the Nevahim. What was that, Brent? The prophets. The prophets. And this story is supplemented with the Ketuvim. What was that? The writings. The writings. And the Jews take this evolved Judaism and and rebuild in a post-Babylonian era as they try to figure out, as a community, how to respond appropriately. God joins the scene and incarnates the story in the Gospels, and we see the fruit of this narrative played out in the book of Acts in the epilogue. So there we have Torah, Nevahim, Ketuvim, Gospels, to put it in a Jewish package. However, this story, including the epilogue, is far from wrapped up with a tidy bow, and a few things will become startlingly clear. First one is this. The story is far from over. Full restoration has not been realized, only its potential. The rest of the story is yet to be written. How will God's people respond? Kind of uh, very similar, Brent, to our time in the preface. Were God's people perfect? No. Absolutely not. Kind of a mess. In this post-Jesus epilogue, are God's people perfect? No. Definitely still a mess. And yet we have moved from Avram to now a indwell an indwelt what's the right word there and then sure that thing uh, a spirit-filled ecclesia the story has moved it has progressed but it's still far from perfect it's far from over it's far from clean ecclesia being uh the, the greek word for church thank you called out ones so the rest of the story could we even call it the sequel is there a sequel i don't know but the rest of the story will certainly be full of conflict and drama Now that we have realized the full potential of God's mission turned loose, we are realizing the implications of a story understood correctly. The book of Acts does a wonderful job showing us how difficult it will be to walk into the future chapters of this tale, where outsiders are welcome, a family is redefined by lots of adopted children, and the scandal of grace is hard to contain. Which leads me to this final point. In light of all this, we now have the ability to see the rest of the New Testament appropriately. The New Testament letters, the writings of Paul, Hebrews, James, Peter, John, Jude, now find their appropriate place amongst the narrative of God. These writings are now seen as the application of this narrative to very specific and varying contexts. I'm going to read that line again. These writings are now seen as the application of this narrative to very specific and varying contexts. In a sense, and I love this idea, a lot of people are going to hate this, but I love it. It's my own, so you can disagree with this. In a sense, the New Testament, the New Testament letters become inspired midrash for this new realized mission, narrative, and community of God. Inspired midrash. And I'm very careful to say inspired, Brent. <laughs> right. Inspired authoritative midrash. I have taught this before and, and claim that the, letter, uh, the, the claim that the letters are midrash drives a lot of um, students, listeners, readers crazy. So uh, I'm taking, uh, the, it feels like I'm taking their authority away. And this couldn't be further from the truth. 
I see the New Testament letters as completely breathed by God. That's what inspired means, God breathed. Breathed by God and as authoritative as they can be. My point is that we simply cannot and interpret and apply these authoritative teachings correctly unless we see them within their appropriate place in relation to God's greater narrative. I hope that's not getting confusing. So we've created a diagram, Brent, that might help us as we look at this. Let me, let me keep looking. Let me, let me keep talking about this here. So this is going to help us understand why a writer like Paul seems so schizophrenic when he writes, like, like, he's, got, like he's changing personalities. In one letter, he tells women to learn in quiet submission. While in another letter, he tells the readers to greet all the women that he put in public ministry. (laughs) Instead of trying to decide which proof text we want to cherry pick in order to match our theology, we can instead need each correspondence, read each correspondence within the context that it was intended. Here's what I mean by that. When Paul wrote to Corinth... Paul was helping the Corinthians apply the narrative of God to their context in Corinth. But when Paul wrote to Ephesus, he was helping the Ephesians apply the exact same narrative, but to their unique context in Ephesus. And those are two bad examples because Ephesus and Corinth had a lot in in common. But is Ephesus the same context as Corinth, Brent? No. Same people? No. Same, Same setting? Same problems? Maybe some of the same. But not in their entirety. Right. And it's going to be different than Philippi. Absolutely. Which is totally different than Colossae. Certainly. But Paul's mission is the same. He's trying to get every single one of those locations to apply the narrative of God to their context. But their contexts are also wildly different. That applying the narrative doesn't look the same in every single location. The same goes for the book of Hebrews, the writings of Peter, the letters of John, even the great revelation, Brent, which we will close session four with. Each correspondence has a specific intended audience, many times regional and geographical, sometimes demographical, but always within a unique, unique context. Each of these correspondences is attempting to apply the same narrative of God to that unique setting and should be read in that way. And so as I see and understand the story of God, this will be essential in order to move forward in the New Testament, as I'm going to teach it. And hopefully by this point in our current conversation, if you look at the diagram that we've created, it somewhat makes sense there. So we've created a diagram. You can see the preface. You can see the introduction. You can see that narrative arc culminating in Jesus and then kind of resolving, epilogging, if you will, if I can make that a verb, in the book of Acts, which means that everything else, all those other letters, the Pauline letters, and then all the other letters that we could talk about, John and Revelation, Jude, James, Peter, Hebrews, all those letters find their, they are written to a unique context. Peter's audience is not the same as a church in Philippi. And James's audience is totally unique to Paul's Gentile audiences. And they're really not even that Gentile, but we'll look at that as we go through. So in my opinion, one of the most frustrating mistakes we have made in the evangelical theology is that we have placed our interpretive lens on the parts of scripture that we find the easiest to understand. Since we don't understand the ancient context of the Old Testament, we misinterpret its meaning. I even hate calling it the, the Old Testament. We have leaders in Calif- uh, uh, listeners in California, Bema, Irvine, Bema, uh, Trabuco Canyon, uh, Bema um, Bridge. Uh, their teacher there, Brian, who was in our, one of our past Bema messengers, he wrote his little story there. He likes to call it the First Testament. 
which I always love that term, the first Testament and the second Testament. Anyway, but we, we don't understand the first Testament. We don't understand the old Testament. And so we misinterpret its meaning. While we love the saving work of Jesus and his loving character, we don't understand his rabbinical teaching. And so we totally, we totally misinterpret them. We don't understand pardes. We don't understand what's going on in parables. We don't understand remes or drosh. And so we misinterpret them. Now we think we understand the writings of the apostle Paul. And ironically, we're going to find we don't understand the writings of the apostle Paul at all. But we like his Greek writing styles and we love his imperative prose. Like he loves to make, make commands. You will do this, do this, don't do this. It's so clean and neat and tidy. We love to read Paul. We prefer the ease of exegesis and application in the Pauline letters, all the while missing the contextual work that needs to be done to properly understand its original application, which happens to be the inspired, God-breathed conversation that we need to interpret. Is Paul actually that black and white, though? It, it, we love to read him that way, but and he, he's really not. We're going to find out. He's even in not English, at all. even in English, everything is permissible. Okay, oh well, that's great. Sure, but not everything's beneficial. Oh well, how do I know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is going to be some application problems, but we do feel like he's easier to read, and we actually have to be really careful with that. And uh, I've quoted these words from Brian McLaren before, and I'm pretty sure they come out of a book we've linked. We're going to link in the show notes. It's a a new kind of Christianity by Brian McLaren. Um, I'm pretty sure they come out of that book, but he had this, this saying, he said, we have welcomed Jesus as our savior, but have made Paul our Lord. Um, we, we love the idea of Jesus's work on the cross, but his teachings is kind of mystical and Jewish and rabbinic, and we don't really know what to do with it. But Paul is just so much easier to read. It's nice in Greek. So we've made Paul our Lord, but Jesus our savior. When we have the order of Jesus and Paul correct, it allows us to keep Christ where he should remain as the point, the climax, the truest revelation of God's good story. So we're going to move on from here, and we're going to look at our first book, Brent. We're going to look at the book of Galatians, and it's going to be a perfect example of keeping everything in its context, because we've already talked in our Acts study about the region of Galatia. Was that a unique region, Brent? Yeah. Totally different than the region of Asia and where most of these other letters are going to go. Right. So if we keep our context correct, we're going to see why Paul says the things that he says there and why it's different than what you read in Romans. But boy, have we put all that stuff together. We just have found a really slick way to take all of Paul's letters, systematize them all, and come up with one big Pauline theology. And we've messed it up. We have messed it up. So we're going we're to do some work to keep all these conversations and all these letters in context, interpret them through the lens of Christ. Now that we've had session three, we've got the gospels, we've got the Jesus piece, and we're going to see what happens when we lay this new, this new scandalous gospel in the context of Asia and Asia Minor, this Greco-Roman world of Hellenism. What happens when you apply the gospel to that? And that's what we're going to find out. All right. Uh, that Be My Messenger, you... Reference, by the way, is uh, number three. Number three, Baymont Messenger number three. I'm going to see if I can link that in the show notes. Oh, sure, absolutely. But if I don't... Yeah. I, I have a link for you. Okay. I think, as long as it works, you know, years from now. Perfect. Well, if you want to get future editions of the Baymont Messenger, uh, please sign up at baymontdiscipleship.com. You can find all the details you need about the show there. You can get in touch with us. You can do uh, everything you need. So thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.